During the hiatus from season one, I was approached about the possibility of turning the show into a book and was asked to draft all of the episodes into a cohesive narrative. For now, it appears as though the book idea has been shelved, pun totally intended, but I felt it was a waste to let some of the new material go unshared. So today, I give you what would have been chapter one of the book, leading up to the material that makes up the pilot episode of Scattered Curiosities, Let's Go Dutch. And this half hour replaces our five-minute tiny sewed from season one, New Yorkosities. This is chapter one of the book that never was. York City is sometimes referred to as the capital of the world, and people that live here seem to forget that there is any world at all outside of the 22.7 square mile island of Manhattan, 13.4 miles long and 2.3 miles at its widest. People wear the designation New Yorker as a badge of honor, despite the fact that many Denzians of this boom town are not natively born here. Their ancestors came through Ellis Island generations ago, or they themselves moved from other places to realize their dreams. I am no different and immigrated here from the second city, Chicago, 14 years ago. Nicknamed the Windy City, but not because of the blistering gusts blowing ice shards off of the shores of Lake Michigan, but rather the politicians, or windbags, that would blather on blowing hot air in the 1800s. And according to meteorologists, Boston, San Francisco, and New York are statistically windier than Chi-Town. Chicago has outstanding food, music, diversity, museums, theater, culture, architecture, and mass transit. And it is for these reasons that moving to New York City was an easy adjustment for me, anchored in attributes that I felt familiar with and connected to. Shortly after gaining residency on the East Coast, I began to notice more of the differences between the two nerve centers. Chicago has clean, wide sidewalks thanks to its alleys. You know, for your garbage dumpsters and loading docks. In New York City, there are no alleys, and heaps of pungent, sticky, sometimes moving trash bags are artlessly stacked upon the sidewalks for days, lending to the signature aroma of the city on a blistering, humid summer afternoon and becoming an all-inclusive resort for a charming mischief of rats. Don't believe me? 
Go on YouTube and search for a video of a rat dragging an entire New York dollar slice of pizza down the subway stairs. The hilariously dubbed Pizza Rat became a possible contender for a mascot and team name for the minor league Staten Island Yankees. It had my vote. It just goes to show what a New York sports fan is like. Giants, Jets, Yankees, Mets, Knicks, or Nets? No team is showered with adoration if they're in a slump. And New York fans will flat out call their favorite team players a bunch of bums if they are underperforming. Taking for granted the Yankees' unprecedented 27 World Championship victories. Unlike we loyal Chicago Cubs fans that waited more than a lofty century to finally see the boys in blue from the friendly confines of Wrigley Field earn their place back in the major leagues. New Yorkers are professional complainers and gripe at every dollar subway hike, but keep churning out 14 bucks for a smoothie. Although I will contend that most subway grievances are probably justified. Here's a weird thing I noticed when I moved here. When New Yorkers are standing in a line, say for a movie, they are not standing in line, they are standing online. And to me, online is the internet. But native New Yorkers just will not budge on this one. I've tried to have arguments with people that are born here to understand the logic, and they're just not having it. It's online, and that's the end of it. I stupidly assumed that the A, C, and E trains, which have blue circles around them, all went to the same place, very much like they do in Chicago, with the blue Red, brown, green, orange, purple, yellow, and pink lines. The train color does not matter in New York City. It is the number or the letter that is on the subway car. Don't just assume that all the blue ones go to the same place. I will say that I was initially amazed by how much bigger and faster the New York subway was and that it ran all night long. Only select lines in Chicago do. Both cities have elevated trains, or L's, that I prefer in either dominion. If my train loses power, stranding me for any amount of time, I would rather be above ground, looking out the window, than subsurface, or even worse, under the river en route to Brooklyn. But no matter what city you're in, if your train pulls up to the station and all the cars are crammed full of passengers except for one, do not get on that emptier car. Trust me, whatever is in there is not pleasant. The MTA, Metropolitan Transit Authority, is probably more entertaining than the CTA, the Chicago Transit Authority, with the acrobatic Showtime dancers, your pick of mariachi bands, pan flutes, preachers, and a cappella singers 
where the most unlikely of strangers will often strike up conversations that rival your wildest imagination. Only in New York will someone be just a little hit by a cab, get up, dust themselves off, and keep jaywalking against the stoplight, paying no mind whatsoever to the occasional exploding manhole lid, which scared the hell out of me the first time I witnessed it. Were there alleys here, I would have dived into one. Everybody looked at me like I was a crazy person. In New York, the crazy person capital of the world. Some things are so uniquely New York that if you were to encounter them anywhere else in the country, it would seem weird and unacceptable. Let me start with dirty laundry. Just about everyone in this conurbation is terrified of being afflicted with bed bugs and treat those who suffer from the pests like highly contagious carriers. You can combat this fear by changing out of your street clothes the second you get home and throwing them in the laundry hamper, bypassing your bed. Your rotation of clothes becomes far more frequent, requiring more trips to the laundromat, or just buying a new wardrobe each season. Hey, it's always fashion week in New York. We make it work. Some people do have the luxury of a laundry room in their apartment building basement. However, I have never had such a comfort in this city. It is always a muscle job going up the street a few blocks to shell out 40 quarters each week to clean my drawers. Most of the country would be outraged to pay $2,000 a month for a one-bedroom walk-up with no laundry or storage on site. Thank God my buzzer works. The first thing that a traveler should understand before they come to New York City is the basic layout of addresses here. Oftentimes, your destination is located at something like 357 West 56th Street. A New Yorker would tell you that it is on the north side of 56th Street between 8th and 9th Avenue. How do they know? It's quite simple. If you look at the map of New York City, as you go from south to north, the street numbers get higher. First Street, Second Street, 3rd Street, just like that, all the way up to 220th Street at the top of Manhattan. Consequently, if you are standing at 357 West 56th Street, you are in the neighborhood of Hell's Kitchen. No relation to Gordon Ramsay. This area of town stretches from 40th through 59th Streets between 8th Avenue and the Hudson River, the west one. Remember, Manhattan is an island, which was an adjustment for me because in Chicago, the water, Lake Michigan, is always to the east. And there exist two popular theories on how Hell's Kitchen earned its name. The first comes down to us from two patrolmen who 
saw fighting in the streets nearby, during which the younger cop remarked, This place is hell. And his partner retorted, Hell is mild. This is Hell's Kitchen. The other theory on how Hell's Kitchen got its name pays homage to the thugs of the Hell's Kitchen gang, famously alluded to in the 1927 Herbert Asbury book titled Gangs of New York. Yes, the story that Martin Scorsese turned into a film. If you are looking at the avenues on the map, which run north and south, they go from 1st Avenue on the east side all the way to 12th Avenue on the west side. And 5th Avenue divides east and west. So, if you are trying to get to 357 West 56th Street, you will have to go 3 avenues west of 5th Avenue. Odd-numbered addresses reside on the north side of the street, even-numbered addresses on the south side, and 20 blocks equals a mile. It's a pretty straightforward grid. Additionally, 6th Avenue is sometimes called Avenue of the Americas, and Broadway runs on an angle from Central Park South to about 10th Street in Manhattan. And do yourself a favor when you visit and avoid any restaurants that also exist in your hometown when you go to Times Square. I don't want to make any corporate enemies by listing specific ones, but if you're in Gotham City, you can literally taste the world here. Do it. A fantastic deal can be found at the Capitol Grill right near Radio City Music Hall, which has a price-fixed pre-theater dinner menu for only $39. You get an appetizer, entree, and dessert. It's crazy good. The filet mignon is perfection, and they have a signature cocktail called a Stoli Doli, which is pineapple-infused vodka shaken with ice and poured into a martini glass with a super frothy head. Scattered curiosity, Times Square, 40th through 53rd Street between 6th and 8th Avenue, was known as Long Acre Square a century ago, but was rechristened Times Square by Mayor George B. McClellan Jr. because the Times Building, as in the New York Times, was located there. Also, the correct term for the topless ladies that walk around Times Square with their breasts painted is desnudas. If you decide to take a picture with somebody that is dressed up like a Super Mario Brother, the Incredible Hulk, Spider-Man with a fanny pack, or a Disney princess, keep in mind that those people expect you to tip them. And do not engage with anybody in a bright colored t-shirt holding a clipboard unless you have time on your hands, feel like signing a petition, and possibly donating money to the kids, the animals, or the earth. And for God's sake, if somebody walks up to you on the sidewalk and hands you a CD, don't take it. 
They are going to demand money from you and sometimes can be frighteningly aggressive. However, if a friendly clipboarder asks you if you like comedy or love to laugh, well, congratulations. You are getting free tickets to a stand-up comedy show in the city. Two drink minimum. You will most likely find yourself at Macy's if you are visiting for the first time. And the east exit of Macy's will put you in Herald Square, which was named for the now defunct New York Herald newspaper. And there are a handful of neighborhoods in this city that are abbreviated with good reason. Here are a couple you may have heard of. Tribeca means the triangle below Canal Street. UWS is the Upper West Side. UES is the Upper East Side. And LES is the Lower East Side. You may have also heard of Dumbo. Not the animated Disney classic, but the neighborhood down under the Manhattan Bridge overpass. And I'm sure that you have heard of Soho, which means south of Houston Street. And NoHo means north of Houston Street. And I say Houston Street because it is not named for Sam Houston, like Houston, Texas but rather William Houston, with an extra U at the end of his name, who was a lawyer in the Continental Congress. And his wife was of the ritzy Bayard family and is how we got Bayard Street. William Houston is buried in St. Paul's Chapel in Fidi, F-I-D-I, the financial district. There's also Nolita, north of Little Italy, Nomad, north of Madison Square Park, Sobro, South Bronx, Dobro, downtown Brooklyn, the BQE is the Brooklyn Queens Expressway, I-278, GWB, the George Washington Bridge, the LIE is the Long Island Expressway, and the Willie B is the Williamsburg Bridge. Downtown Manhattan is anything below Canal Street. Bloomies is short for Bloomingdale's. A Johnny Pump is a fire hydrant. And a bodega is a sketchy convenience store with a cat. But not every part of town gets a nifty nickname or acronym because the city is broken up into so many neighborhoods, each with their own backstories personalities, and sometimes nationalities, which echo the flair, customs, and authentic food from the ancestries of the melting pot of people that reside in any given locality in this megalopolis. Chelsea is widely renowned for its LGBTQ community, but was named in the 1740s when a British military man purchased over 90 acres of what became 8th Avenue to the Hudson River between 21st and 24th Street. Thomas Clark designated his new estate Chelsea in honor of a retirement home for veterans across the pond in jolly old England by the same handle. 
The Flatiron District owes its rubric to the iconic Flatiron Building on 23rd Street and 5th Avenue, which enjoyed the position of tallest in the city when it was constructed in 1902 under the name the Fuller Building. Flatiron was contrived by onlookers who commented that the structure's unique shape looked like that of a clothing iron. And despite its by-name for so many decades, the area was not officially designated the Flatiron District until eight decades later. Union Square resides on 14th Street and used to be called Union Place because it unites two major avenues to one another and... The first Labor Day parade took place there on September 5th, 1882, celebrating labor unions. Washington Heights spans from 155th to 181st Street and is named so because Fort Washington resides within it and it was once the highest position on the entire island helping colonial Yankees overcome the English Redcoats in the American Revolution. And Washington Square Park was a cemetery and farm before becoming public grounds between Fifth Avenue and Waverly Place. Both the park and the hood in the heights are named for the guy featured on the $1 bill, quarter, the suspension bridge connecting the Palisades of New Jersey for a $15 toll, and the 1791 Washington cent. George, I cannot tell a lie, Washington. Not far below Washington Heights is Hamilton Heights, the area between 135th and 155th from St. Nicholas Avenue all the way to the Hudson River, and gets its name from another prominent historical American figure, the patron of the New York Evening Post, former Treasury Secretary and Broadway superstar Alexander Hamilton. Sadly, Vice President Aaron Burr shot and killed Hamilton in a duel just two years after Hamilton Grange was built. Burr was a member of the New York State Assembly before serving as vice president to Thomas Jefferson. After killing Alexander Hamilton, he nomadically traveled to Europe and the American West before affiliating with his mother's maiden name, Edwards. Murray Hill is the part of the city from Madison Avenue to the East River and 34th to 36th Street, which once featured a sizable hill owned by an Irishman-turned-Quaker named Robert Murray. Originally named in Kleenberg, Beautiful Hill in Dutch, his home was situated on what is now 36th and Park Avenue. Robert's son Lindley Murray wrote a book titled The English Reader, that was praised by Abraham Lincoln, despite the fact that Lindley, a native New Yorker, remained loyal to the British after the American Revolution and was conscripted to leave the country and relocate 
to York, England. And the fact that an Irishman would give his home a Dutch name brings about another connection to be found in New York City and indeed our whole nation. Don't forget, New York City used to be known as New Amsterdam. In fact, the whole Hudson Valley region all the way up to Albany was once known as New Netherland. If you go all the way to the top of Manhattan, you will find the biggest natural forest on the island towering above as you enjoy a 200-foot hike through the paths of Inwood Hill Park. It is in this woodland, under a tulip tree, that Peter Minuet, the first director general of New Netherland, supposedly bought the island of Manhattan from Native Americans on behalf of the Dutch West India Company at the price of 60 guilders, roughly $24, worth of shipped cargo in 1626. The tree is no longer there, but Sharakapak Rock in Inwood Hill Park has a plaque on it commemorating the event. I run past this rock every single day. The neighborhood of Inwood spans from 220th down to 182nd Street, and its major thoroughfare connecting the Hudson and East Rivers is Dykeman Street, named for the Dutch farmer William Dykeman, who built a farmhouse on 250 acres just below Inwood Hill. And the house remains at the corner of 204th Street and Broadway to this very day and is the oldest farmhouse in the borough. Harlem was established by Peter Stuyvesant as New Harlem in Upper Manhattan between 110th and 155th from Park Avenue to St. Nicholas Avenue, where it waited patiently for two and a half centuries for the Apollo Theater to arrive and introduce the world to Ella Fitzgerald. And have you ever heard of Bed-Stuy in Brooklyn? Well, Stuy is short for Peter Stuyvesant, who was the last Dutch director general of New Netherland before the English took over. And it is hard to believe that there is a place called Turtle Bay in Manhattan, and it's huge, spanning 10 blocks north from 43rd Street and Lexington Avenue all the way to the East River. And there exists some debate as to the reasoning for this autonym. The simple explanation, there used to be bales and bales of turtles there. The other, and more likely breakdown, is derived from the Dutch word dotel, which means bowed knife. The bay has a similar shape. Dotel sounded enough like turtle to stick around for 375 years. Another Dutch neighborhood just below Turtle Bay from East 23rd and up 15 blocks stretching between Lexington Avenue and the East River is Kipps Bay. No mystery here. It was named for the son of a Dutch pioneer, 
Taylor and one of the initial assemblymen to serve Peter Stuyvesant who bought the land. Hendrick Hendrickson Kipp. Scatter curiosity, Hendrick was known as, quote, Hendrick Kipp of the haughty lip, end quote, for speaking his political mind despite the consequences of opposition. He, too, swore allegiance to the British when they took control of New Amsterdam in 1644. The meatpacking district was once exactly that, two acres of the Lower West Side between 9th and 11th Avenues with over 250 slaughterhouses, which also packed meat. But this trendy commercial area was once named Gansevoort Market for Peter Gansevoort, a colonel for the Continental Army in the American Revolution who was born with aristocratic blood from the Dutch colony of Fort Orange in what is now known as Albany. Peter Gansevoort heroically fought battles alongside America's Darth Vader, Benedict Arnold, but before he turned into a traitor. After the Revolutionary War, Gansevoort continued to reside in Albany, operating a brewery. But he also had businesses in the precinct of New York City that once bore his name. Scatter curiosity, Peter Gansevoort is Herman Melville's grandfather. Gansevoort's daughter Maria was the author's mother. Bonus curiosity, the classic novel Moby Dick was considered to be a flop when it debuted in 1851. Greenwich Village is stemmed from the Dutch Groenwijk, which translates to Pine District in the parcel of Manhattan between Houston and 14th Street from 6th Avenue to the Hudson River, and it is where you will find the NYU campus. Greenwich was named by the Dutch colonist Jellis Mandeville, who lifted the branding for his homestead from a hamlet of the same name on Long Island. And if you would like to explore more about where our Dutch descendants came from, discover how they got here, and find out who the heck this Henry Hudson fellow whose river I have mentioned over a dozen times today was, go back and listen to our pilot episode of Scatter Curiosities, Let's Go Dutch! to help us keep the curiosities coming please rate us on itunes soundcloud or your favorite podcast platform and don't forget to visit scatteredcuriosities.com for exclusive free downloads and to donate to the show